gentlemen, it's good to be back with you. Normally, I let Carl know what the title of my sermon is. But tonight, the title of my sermon is Ignorance is the Problem, and I didn't want to give him too much ammunition. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, let's notice the first three verses. Paul, pleading with those in Rome, said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now we spoke this morning about a plague, a blight that is uh, infiltrating the world, has infiltrated our nation, and it seems to be getting worse and worse, and of course that is the problem of abortion. We talked about some of the reasons of why that was going on this morning. People looked at themselves as God. Satan is uh, encouraging people through influence in the world to uh, murder innocent children. But really, if we want to boil it all down, we have a lot of problems in the world, and the problem is ignorance. Ignorance is the problem. And when we read the words of Paul... He uh, summed it up in verse number three. He said, uh, "Not that uh, they didn't have a uh, righteous or a zeal, a knowledge according to uh, or a zeal according to knowledge, but they they wanted uh, they had a, a a zeal according to their righteousness, not God's righteousness." Now I believe that some people in this nation and world, and it's hard to believe, but I I'm, I'm going to leave the door open to believe that they may think that they are still religiously minded people and lovers of God that go along with that junk. They just are so to whatever position they are that uh, they may not be able to recover. But what we see there is a self-righteous zeal. They believe they're right. They think everybody ought to be able to do just whatever they want to. But that's not the case. And when we look at this idea of ignorance, and we're not uh, using this term in an insulting way, anyone could be ignorant of anything. Uh, Paul made the statement that the people in Rome, they were ignorant, a lot of them, of God's righteousness, of God's commandments. Ignorant meaning they just didn't know, but they didn't bother to know. That's why it was a willful ignorance, and they were self-righteous. But ignorance is a problem. And if we looked at any other aspect in life where ignorance was plaguing something, we might think that was an issue, right? When I say us, I mean the world in general. Obviously, we think it is an issue. But if we went out into the, into the, uh, the communities of our nation and we began to ask people what they thought about knowledge of uh, certain things, they would no doubt approve of that. What would we think about a family who refused to educate their children from the time they were old enough to be educated till the time they went into adulthood. What would we think of a parent or parents who said, I'm opposed to education. I'm opposed to knowledge. We love living in ignorance. Well, we might think that person was a little beyond ignorant, wouldn't we? Maybe a little further down the road because that just does not make sense. And I don't know of anyone personally who feels that way. But we would think that is a problem as a whole. We have about 1 billion non-literate adults in the world. 
That's about 26% of the population. That's a lot of people. Now, we have to keep in mind, the vast majority of that one billion live in third world nations where they do not have the opportunity or they haven't been provided with an opportunity to gain the knowledge that most of us have gained. Being able to, to write our own names. Being able to read a note someone sends us. When Carl and I communicate, it's, it's easy and it's quick. That's normally how we do it. And so, I'll send him a note, he'll send me one. But we're able to read that. I can remember my granny growing up. She couldn't read or write. She went out into the fields to work uh, before she got out of the third grade. That's just the way it was back then. And she could write or she could sign her name. And that was all she could do. And it was a long time before she could do that. She signed her documents with an X. And then someone witnessed it. So when we look at this idea of ignorance, you know, we look at 26% of the world's population being ignorant, not being educated. That's kind of a sad thing. And we think we need to eradicate ignorance in the world. And there are a lot of movements to do that. We look in our own nation. About 32 million adults who are illiterate or cannot read, they're ignorant of knowledge. And that's about 14% of our population. When we look at at the age group of 15 and above with a high literacy rate. Do you know what that makeup is? That's only 19% of our population in this nation from the age of 15 and up who are highly literate. That's sad, isn't it? The population of adults with a low literacy rate, almost 50%, 49.6%. And that's an issue. And, and we... We see these movements throughout the nation. Adults with a moderate literacy rates a little over 31%. Uh, my grandmother would have fallen into that non-literate category, you know. She would have fallen into that. And uh, that's, that's sad. Ignorance is sad. But those numbers are disturbing to us. But when we look at the statement Paul made, and he talked about those brethren there, being ignorant, or not, the, they were his brethren, physically speaking, the Jews. They were ignorant of God's righteousness, but they chose to be ignorant. And there's a whole lot of people in the world like that. And that affects more than just the individual. It affects the individual, but that's a growing problem in the world. We see it creeping into the church. We have people who are ignorant of what God wants us to know and to do, and there's no call for that. There's no reason that we can't pick up the Bible <clears throat> and throughout the the prophets, we've read about them talking about coming together and reasoning together. The apostles talked about primarily Paul reasoning together. God gave us a mind to reason with, and he expects us to do that. George Gallup, uh, an American pioneer of survey sampling techniques, and he was the inventor of the Gallup poll, he said that Americans revere the Bible. And I believe that's the case. I don't... I would think that a very high majority of families or homes in the United States would have at least one Bible in there. And if, it like, and if they're like our homes, I'm sure they can find a half a dozen or more. But they says that Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they become a nation of biblical illiterates. They've become ignorant of what God wants, just like these people Paul spoke of. But how bad is the problem? When we think of the idea of someone saying, well, well, people don't understand what's going on in the Bible or they don't know what God has asked 
exactly how bad is the problem. Fewer than half of all adults, when asked to name the four gospel writers, they, can, they can't do it. Only less than half. Most people two out of uh, 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 can name two out of three apostles. That's all they can name. They can probably name Peter and Paul, and that's about it. Sixty percent of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. Eighty-two percent of Americans believe uh, the statement "God helps those who help themselves" is a Bible verse. It's not a Bible verse. Twelve percent of Americans believe that, and this is this is a serious statement. Twelve percent of Americans believe Joan of Arc was the wife of Noah. A survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over fifty percent thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable amount of respondents believed that Billy Graham delivered the sermon on the mount. That's very sad. We're becoming increasingly ignorant of the Bible as a nation. It's a problem. It's destroying lives. It's destroying families. And when this happens, we see the problem that we discussed this morning. Everything grows out of the idea that we are ignorant of what God wants, the problems in the world. I want us to better understand this complicated and increasing threat to to everybody. Not just to Christians, to all people. And I want us to begin with the concern that we ought to have toward people being ignorant of what God wants. Ignorance is the problem. We ought to be concerned because, number one, ignorance affects the person as an individual. It affects the person as an individual. Hosea, Hosea said this, uh, Hosea 4 beginning with verse 1. He said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, that sounds like the world, doesn't it? Not much has changed. They break out. And blood toucheth blood, therefore shall the land mourn. He goes on to say, and this is the passage that that most of us recognize when we hear the name Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. That's That's why they have a lack of knowledge. It's just like the people in Rome. They are ignorant of God's commandments willfully. He said He will reject them. The prophet Amos declared, Amos 8, beginning with verse 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, They'll wander from place to place, from sea to sea, searching for that, and it won't be there for them. It's not a good thing to be ignorant. For there is a lack of knowledge about God's Word. According to these prophets, the people faint. In ignorance, they make wrong choices. They don't know where to turn and they stumble. If a person does not know where he's going, he will certainly not know how to get there. 
All things begin to fall apart when there is a lack of knowledge, and that is the truth in any aspect of our lives, and especially when it comes to biblical ignorance. Without the Word of God, a person has no real direction in this life. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, Psalm 119, 105. He has no true joy or peace in life. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart, Psalm 119, 111. But great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them, Psalm 119, 165. There are more than 7 billion people that inhabit our earth. And a vast majority of them are ignorant uh, regarding God's direction and God's commandments. But they're willfully ignorant, many of them. Paul explained to us, that, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 9, the danger of being ignorant about God's commandments. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was making a trip and uh, overseas, and this individual I told you about who was uh, a Christian, he said, well... People who never heard about the about Jesus, those who have never heard the gospel, are not amenable. They're not going to have a requirement of that placed on them. That's one of the worst statements I've ever heard in my life. God requires obedience, and it's up to us to find out what He wants. He's left us with everything we need to have. Peter said that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he was talking about the written word. Spiritual ignorance affects the person as an individual, but it affects, when we talk about the church as a whole, it affects everyone who sits in the pew. It affects the individual, and then it affects the group as well. In almost every congregation of the Lord's people, if you look around, and I'm not singling us out, I don't know that that's the case here, but only a few members teach the classes. I think we have a lot of people who are willing to do things here, but most of the time you only have a few people. Churches are weakened when no one wants to offer their help in teaching someone else. You know what teaching does for the person? A lot more for the teacher than the class, I can tell you that, because the teacher will learn a vast uh, more knowledge than those sitting in the pew. It's good for a person. In, uh, in a lot of cases there are few teachers because there's little knowledge. Ignorance is dangerous. The writer of Hebrews addressed that problem, Hebrews 5 verse 12. He talked about the first principles. He said uh, it's a time when you ought to be teaching others the first principles, but you have to be taught again yourself. When a person has become converted to God and becomes a, a Christian by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's laid that out for us, it's not a mystery. He's been very plain, Jesus has been. And then prior to ascending back to the Father, he said, Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So he left a message, and the apostles delivered that exact message he left. And it just kept going and going and going. That's a direct commandment for us today as well, to teach others how to become Christians. Christ wasn't shy about that. The apostles and the other inspired writers, they weren't shy about it. They could very easily explain to someone, and we can look at all the individual cases in the book of Acts, and we can learn that a person first had to hear the gospel. It's very simple. 
They had they either read it on their own or they heard it on their own or someone sat down with them and taught them the gospel. In the case of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, the preacher Ananias sat with him and taught him the gospel. And he believed it. He had a belief in Jesus prior to him ever hearing the gospel because Jesus appeared to him and told him who he was. And so when we find him, having gone down into Damascus, he had heard, or he was about to hear the gospel, he had already repented, he realized he had been wrong. He confessed who Jesus was when he met him on the road. And then Ananias came in and taught him the gospel. He believed it. He repented of his past sins. He must have confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God because later on Paul said that was a requirement. Romans 9, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then that's when Ananias told him, Acts 22, verse 16, Saul, Saul, why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So it's very clear throughout the Bible. There's no reason to be ignorant of what God expects. If one does not put to use the knowledge they gain, it's like anything else. We lose it. We lose it. And we need to practice. I was talking with a young man the other day, and he he was asking me about different things in his life. I said, you have to practice righteousness. Like you do anything else, you have to practice it. It has to become a part of your life, a part of who you are, your identity. Ignorance is the problem. We need to educate ourselves. Countless times a congregation has been led away by a preacher or an elder or a combination of both because the people in the pew were not knowledgeable enough to discern what was true doctrine and what was false doctrine. The people have to be aware of what the message is. They have to know what truth is. If you know truth, you can detect error. Peter warned us about false prophets, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And we need to make sure that we can discern true doctrine from false doctrine. Spiritual ignorance, it affects the person, it affects the pew, but brethren, here's what happens. It affects the public as well. And we see it unfolding right before our eyes. We turn on the news and we see the problems in the world. We, we see people who have no regard for God. We see people who have no regard for man. That reminds us of the, the wicked judge that the, the persistent widow kept pleading with. He had no regard for man, uh, God or man, only himself. And that's what's happening. I think our standards in this country are becoming more and more skewed. And it's just like the days of Isaiah when he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5 verse 20, if we don't have backwards thinking in our nation, I don't know where it is. If we don't have backwards thinking in the world, I don't think it exists. The problem is our culture and the culture around the world rewards evil. Rewards it. We look to Hollywood and we, or we see uh, musicians or, or whatever the case may be, entertainment personalities, and the sorrier they are, the better the public likes them. It's almost as if the public cannot get enough of them. In 2011, I can remember picking up a magazine of uh, the Time magazine, and I don't read Time magazine anymore. I used to, and I got to where I couldn't stomach it. And a sitting president was sitting on the front of that magazine with a rainbow halo above his head supporting the homosexual movement. 
I would have never thought I would have ever seen anything like that in my life. Now our politicians may honor such acts which are committed against nature and against God, but God does not support it, neither should His children. Divorce for any reason. Sexual immoralities of all kinds are accepted just business as usual. What's the problem? Ignorance is the problem. Our country as a whole and the world as a whole has lost its ability to to be shamed. And Jeremiah talked about that, Jeremiah 6 verse 15. Concerning Israel, Jeremiah asked, he said, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? He was asking a rhetorical question. He knew the answer. He said, Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. They couldn't blush. What does that mean? That you can't blush? They were ignorant of God's commandments because they chose to be. They had no idea what was right or wrong. In their book, nothing was wrong. They didn't have sense enough to be ashamed of what they were doing. Any group of people, and we read through the Old Testament and we see where God punished Israel for offering their own children, babies, as sacrifice. They'd been influenced by the heathen nations around them and they joined in. And they started doing the same things. And they couldn't even be ashamed of it because they didn't have sense enough to be ashamed of it. Ignorance is the problem. And it's destroying families, it's destroying the world, it's destroying our communities. When everybody does right, what they believe is right in their own eyes, Judges 21, 25, nations begin to crumble. The, the fabric of society begins to tear. I think we all ought to be concerned when it comes to biblical ignorance. But the good news is there is a cure for the concern. That's our second point and our last point. How do we, how do we fight this off? We talked about some problems this morning and some things that we ought to do. We talked about this, but I want us to notice it in a little bit of a a different aspect. We need to have daily devotion with God. We need to get closer to God. We need to understand His mind as much as we're able through the Bible. We need to follow His commandments. We need to dedicate ourselves to daily devotion. That's how we cure this terrible problem. The psalmist said... The truly blessed person feeds on the Word of God, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. You know what daily devotion will do? It'll get rid of ignorance. It'll destroy ignorance. We'll gain the knowledge. We'll understand who God is. We'll understand what His plan is. God told Joshua, as he was on the cusp of becoming the leader of the Israelite nation, Joshua 1, verse 7, He said, "...only be thou strong and very courageous." that thou may observe to do all according to the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. God still expects that from His people. Do what He said. Do what He's told them to do. Observe according to the law under which you live. And we happen to live under the Christian law, the New Testament law, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, and God expects us to do that. What will daily Bible study do for us? To bring us closer to God to begin with. It will increase our understanding of God. It will give us strength and comfort and hope when we endure times that are sad and where we despair. 
That's the first step in stopping biblical or spiritual ignorance. And an important part of that is mutual edification, isn't it? Mutual Christian edification. Leaning on one another. Encouraging one another. We're here right now for a few moments and we're encouraging each other. And it is discouraging when we look around and, and we don't see those who we love. And we understand people travel and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who just don't come. That's discouraging to the, to the faithful. The writer of Hebrews warned against that. Hebrews 3, beginning verse 12, he said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How do we stop that? He says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. If you stay away and you stay away, and this is with any aspect of life. You stay away, you stay away, you don't engage. Uh, a parent stays away from his family or her family. The parent doesn't engage with the children. The parent doesn't engage or the husband and wife with the spouse. You know what happens at some point? Finally, it just all falls apart. You're just gone. And everybody involved has just simply gotten used to it. And that's what happens when we leave our relationship with God. The writer of Hebrews went on to say, Hebrews 10, beginning with 24, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. It is important to gain encouragement from our brethren. We have to support each other through, through the avenue of Bible study, of being together and having fellowship. The cure for ignorance, because ignorance is the problem, is daily devotion. And then we must include diligent direction, particularly at home from the parent or whoever it is over who we have guardianship or who we have an influence. God gave the responsibility to the parent to train the children. We see it in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, that's that statement where he said, you study the, the Word of God, you do it in the morning, you do it in the evening, you do it before you lay down, you do it after you get up. Know what God says, do not be ignorant. Understanding the importance of the home being the schooling ground, the place where we gain knowledge, Paul commanded, Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Listen, God looks at the Father. And the Father better be doing what God expects. The church setting can aid the parent in that, but we can never rely on three hours a week. Three hours a week. I think it is so sad, and we've all seen it, where a parent will be often more concerned with the physical well-being of the child than the spiritual well-being. We all want to give our children a good start in life. We don't want them to have to enter into the workforce with a ton of school loans like we had to do or have to work at a, at a labor job like, like I had to do for so many years and I don't want my children to have to do that. And so we look to those kinds of things, encouraging them to go into something in life that pays good money where they can support themselves and they can have a quality life. 
ought to be just as concerned about their spiritual lives, right? What would we think of a set of parents who didn't require that their children eat good food? Candy and popcorn and cotton candy and Cokes and candy bars and Twinkies and things like that all day long. That's, that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What would we think of that individual? What would we think of a parent who did not require the child to take baths? Didn't, didn't require the child to brush their teeth? Let them stay up at all hours of the night, didn't care when they went to bed, didn't care when they got up. If you went to school, fine. If you didn't, that's better. We'll do something here during the day. What would we think of parents like that? We'd probably be calling someone, wouldn't we? You need to go check these people out. They're abusing these children. But what do we do when we see people who, who give no attention to the weightier matters, to the things that are important? Do we need to send our children to school? Absolutely. Do they need to take baths? Every single day. Brush their teeth? At least twice a day. Eat good meals, uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Go to bed at the appropriate time. Get up. Don't be lazy. Learn how to work. Do what you're supposed to do. But that's not the way to your matters. Those are very important. We have to do them. But they're not the way to your matters. The Lord chastised the Pharisees, Matthew 23, 23. He said, One to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He said, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, faith, these you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. Listen, make your child take a bath. Make them go to bed. Make them eat good food. But don't leave the weightier matters undone. Ignorance is the problem. The cure for spiritual ignorance begins with daily devotion, diligent direction, and finally it must include dependable duty. Preachers and teachers are not only required to preach the Word, they are required to allow the Word to affect themselves personally and to take heed to the Word. Paul told Timothy that, 1 Timothy 4.16, he said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I've talked with people and it seems sometimes young people have a little, and I, and I guess I was the same way, I don't know, have a little hard, uh, hard time getting going, right? Have to encourage them, come on, let's go. Let's start moving. Let's get up. Let's do some things. I can remember my daddy coming in. We didn't sleep late around my house very often. Uh, especially on the days when you could sleep late because he had something in mind. He had a project and he needed a little help with it. And uh, I've talked with younger people as I've got grown and, and, you know, it doesn't seem like they're too enthusiastic about getting a job sometimes. You run into those like that. And, and I tell them, I say, you know, uh, you need to get a job and you need to go every day. I've worked with people who might work two weeks out of the month. You know, get a job, go to work every day. Be diligent every day. Do the things you're supposed to do every day. I told them when I was when I was younger and, and, and our children were younger, uh, the mother and I worked every day because children like to eat every day. They like to have a place to sleep every day. They like to be warm every day. They like to have a place. 
to live every day. Every congregation should expect the one doing the preaching and the ones doing the teaching to be men and women of the book. If someone stands in front of you and they can't give you a book, chapter, and verse for what they're teaching, get away from that individual. Get rid of him or her and get somebody else in here who will tell you, book, chapter, and verse, this is why we believe what we believe. This is why we do what we do. And it's all because we want to get to heaven. Right? We do not want to be ignorant of God's Word. It is very important for God's Word to be taught, not the opinions of the world. A sermon or a Bible class is not a time for entertainment and joking all the time. Can we tell a joke? Can we have fun? Well, sure, because we love each other. We're going to have... We're going to enjoy our time together, but our purpose is to learn, right? We need to make sure that we don't fill our teaching time with illustration after illustration after illustration of just fun stories, right? We need book, chapter, and verse. We need need the Word to be preached, and then we'll use a little illustration to help better understand what that says and what that means to us. I believe it is of grave importance for our nation as a whole, for our communities, for our families to stop being biblically ignorant. And it's got to start at home, doesn't it? Because it affects the the person, it affects those in the pew, it affects the public. We can see what that's grown to over the years. Look around at what's happening in our nation. Wholesale murder, the sanctity of marriage, uh, ignored and mocked. We understand the concern, but we also know what the cure is. Let's spend time with God. Let's be diligent. Let's fulfill our duty. Let's do the things He's asked us to do. And it all begins with this. Here is how we destroy ignorance. Biblical ignorance. uh, Paul was, was a master. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing. By the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, we talked about the plan of salvation, the steps of how we get into the body of Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. There is a way we do that. It's been laid out for us in the Bible. God expects us to follow that. From time to time, the faithful stumble along the way. And God has made provision for that. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the ways in which we can make sure that we have sin removed in our lives. A person who has obeyed the gospel doesn't have to go back through that same process. They simply have to be faithful. And when they mess up, they repent of that sin, they confess that sin to God, and they ask Him to forgive them. We're not a denomination where we confess our sins to one person and He absolves us of those sins. That's not in the Bible. James said we confess our faults one to another, but that's when it's a public problem, right? Someone knows about it. We need to make a public statement. I've sinned, I've changed, I've repented, and I want God to forgive me and I want my brethren to forgive me. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.